0: Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. So, with that, the question that we have for you all today is what is the biggest vision you have for your life that's scary to say out loud? What is the biggest vision you have for your life that's scary to say out loud? In joy, I think many of us live in a world where it feels like we're only used to seeing part of the story that we have a bigger vision for our life and that we want to have a bigger perspective, but maybe it feels like we're in a dark room and we've been given just a flashlight to observe the world that's around us. That we're in one of those rooms where none of the light gets to seep through the window, like the good, like fun Las Vegas rooms, you know, where they keep it really dark. And that when we have a flashlight to look around, what many of us have become accustomed to is maybe this is all that we're gonna see that I have to observe my life or to have a bigger perspective of where I'm going. For so many of us, we were told in communities of faith or the churches that we came from, there's only a specific way to see God, that it's a dark world out there and that you're the light and that there's a specific way that you can know God, experience God and see God and don't shine your flashlight in any other part of the room because God only wants you to look straight ahead. And we feel limited in these stories, or we feel oppressed where we're at. We feel like there's an inkling to ourselves that I think there's more to this thing. If I could just get a little bit more curious, if I could just ask some questions, if I could just wonder out loud, if I could doubt, if I could actually be able and capable to fall apart, that there I think that I would see that there's more to this room, that there's Uh, more light that's capable of coming in that there's a bigger perspective for me to gain. I think that when the lights come on for many of us and what we see is that, oh my goodness, there was a bigger room here the entire time. There's things in my life that I haven't even seen that I didn't even know were possible to experience. And I think that this is for so many of us, our journey as human beings and our journey of faith. And that what we need in order to add more light to the perspective of our lives is that we need a bigger story of God. That the big idea for today is that a bigger vision of God leads to, a a bigger vision for our life comes from a bigger view of God. Let me say that again. A bigger vision for our life comes from a bigger view of God. That it is it's actually our experience of God is the thing that creates light and allows us to see the larger stories that are going on within our humanity. That for so many of us, we thought God is limiting. God is oppressive. God is suppressive. That story is too small. How could that thing reveal to me a bigger story that is happening in the world? And yet I believe that that's not true. That actually what we end up finding out is that God is not the one who is limiting our stories. There were systems, there were structures, it was ourselves who were limiting the stories, that God is the one who is constantly desiring to expand our stories, not only as individuals, but as humanity so that we can see the entire room much bigger, that not only will the lights come on in our metaphorical rooms of our lives, but we'll pull up those shades, that we'll take a step outside and we'll see that there's always been a bigger world here for us there's always been a larger story for us to experience. I know it was scary. I know it's terrifying. I know it's hard to say no to that tiny little flashlight that somebody gave you to see the world because it was a youth pastor who gave you that flashlight or it was the mom or dad or it was grandma or it was their story of the Bible. And that if you say no to those things, then what are they gonna think about you? And can you really do that? And man, what will Thanksgiving conversation be like next year? But when you can put down that flashlight and turn on the lights, you can say, ah, this is the version of my life that I've always wanted to live. That there is a bigger version of my life. There is a bigger vision for my life and it can come from God. It can come from a bigger view of who God is. And so even when we get into the story of Genesis, where we've been now for months, as we get to Genesis 15 today, let's not forget what's been going on in the story. That there's this God out there who reaches out to this very old couple who's been infertile. They've been barren. And again, we take the Bible seriously. We don't take it literally. We know that this is a bigger story. This is a story for the people of Israel. This is a story for Christianity and Judaism. This is a story for all of humanity. This is a narrative, a meta-narrative that we all can find ourselves within. That if we get lost in the details of the story because we need more Awana's gold stars and all right, well, I memorized Genesis 14 and when I look at the details here of the Pesicites and the Nebisites and the Canaanites, you're missing it. It's not about those details. It's about the bigger journey that there was these people who were experiencing barrenness and in their world, barrenness meant that you didn't have a future for your life. There could be no other vision that the future of your life came through being able to have children. And how many of us, like Abram, like Sarai, Abraham and Sarah to come, have we experienced barrenness in our life? Experienced moments of a desert where we desperately wanted something more. That if I could just have that one thing, then finally, maybe I could be free. If I could just have that relationship, that vocation, that child, if these opportunities would present themselves, those are the things that I know that I've always been destined for. And we, ha- we don't have them. You've waited years. You've had to stay in the closet. You were terrified about that conversation. You keep going to the job that you don't actually want because everybody else tells you that you're supposed to do it. That you're suffocating in your relationship, even though this is a person that maybe you wanna thrive with, but you're terrified to take a risk. I get it. We've all experienced barrenness. This is the story that we're invited into in Genesis. It's at that moment where we think, There's no possible way that my future or the vision for my life could actually happen. And then a God shows up. Not only are you barren, but you're old. Everything is working against you, asks you to move to a new land, asks you to leave everything behind, because it's called faith. asks you to step away from the absolute, step away from the certitude, step away from the world and the understanding that you have and says, I'm gonna take you on a journey and I know you don't understand it yet, but through you, I'm not just gonna bless your life, but I'm gonna bless the entire world. Man, that's compelling. How are you gonna do this? Through your barrenness, through you not knowing, through you wondering what's next. That's where we find ourselves in a story about Genesis. That's where we find ourselves in a story about finding a bigger vision for our life through having a bigger view of God. But to do that, we're gonna talk about some things. We're gonna talk about blank fear. We're gonna fill the dots in later. I know you're pretty excited for this. Then if we can talk about blank fear, then we're going to talk about don't play it safe. And if we don't play it safe on our lives, then maybe we do that by naming some things. And if we can name those things, then of course, blank some needs that we got going on. And if we can understand the blank needs that are going on, then we can talk about trust. And trust, come on, that's difficult for all of us. And if we can move from trust, then we can talk about blank rewards, not Ralph rewards. I don't know. We'll figure out what it is. That was such a bad dad joke. Oh, my goodness. Wow, I am living into my reality. Then we can talk about not quid pro quo, because there's a bigger view of rewards out there. Then, of course, we'll talk about Chuck Feeney, everybody's favorite philanthropist billionaire. Then we'll talk a little bit more about generosity. If we understand generosity, then we can have a bigger blank vision for our lives. And if we can have a blank vision for our lives, then ignoramus is not a Harry Potter spell, but we'll talk about what it is. And if we can understand ignoramus, then... We can understand blank God. So let's just do a little bit of that on a Sunday morning. If you have your Bibles like I do, old school, leather-bound, rice paper, come on. I love this. By the way, in the front of my Bible, this was given to me by somebody in youth group. It literally says, to Corey Marquez, from your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you. Let's go. Ah. I still love it. I love it. I love this. I love this little Bible. Uh, Or if you got your phones, or if you just want to follow us along this screen, follow along with me in Genesis chapter 15. It goes like this. After this, the word of the Lord, or Yahweh, came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But, I always love big buts in the Bible, because you know that something else is coming. Abram said, oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And you're like, man, I have no idea what's going on here. In Abram's world, again, they're experiencing barrenness and infertility. The thing that they want most in the world is not coming. And so one of the ways that Abram can share his wealth that he's accumulated, this new blessing of God as they've moved from a land of Ur from the Babylons into this new promised land, as they've gone down to Egypt and back, as they've accumulated all of this wealth and land, Abram is like, great, that I have all of these things, but I have nobody to give it to. So I guess I'll give it to my servants, which is a thing that you could do back in the day, because at least somebody can reap the benefits of what I've experienced here. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And doesn't that feel real in that moment, that we've heard sermons or audacious words from God, and we've heard these ideas that God wants to bless us, but you're like, yeah, but I've been praying all this time, and nothing's happened. And you're saying that, yeah, you're going to be my shield, and you're going to be my blessing, and you're going to be my great reward, but We still have no kids. That's the thing that you told us was gonna happen. And there's these moments of, I know you're saying it's true, God. I know these other people are saying it's true, but it's not what I'm experiencing in the reality of my life. Thank God that the Bible is honest with us that we've all been there. We've all had these moments. We've all had these times in our lives where we want to want to trust, but our experience feels like nothing's changing. Then, The word of the Lord came to him This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And then he took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. This is one of those mic drop moments from God, where God's like, Don't give me your limited narrative for your life that you don't have an heir. I'm going to give you a son. And more than that, look at the stars. Your family is going to bless the world, and they're going to have kids, and they're going to have kids, and they're going to have kids, and you get a kid, and you get a kid, and we all, right? It's one of those kind of things that God's saying here. So God's doubling down in this story. In the moment of more barrenness, of more wondering, of fear, of being scared, of anxiety, of like, I'm not sure, God's like, I'm not only going to do that, but I'm going to do so much more. And there's this juxtaposition, there's this tension that Abram's experiencing that we would all experience in a moment like this where it feels like we're being promised something but experiencing something completely different. And so Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it, which in the ancient world, land was everything. God's like, not only gonna give you family, like you're gonna be a billionaire in your day, you're gonna have wealth to pass on so that they can have wealth to pass on and they can have wealth to pass on. Because if you're gonna have kids, that's one thing, but to give your kids a home where they feel safe, secure, and nurtured, that's another, and that's why I'm giving you this land that God keeps just adding to the vision for Abraham's life. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. You know, as God says to most of us in our prayers. Um, God, I'm not sure what's going on here. No big deal. I'll explain it to you. I just need a goat, a dog, a pigeon, right? You do not say dog in a story like that in Los Angeles, people. That is, people will cut you for saying things like that. And forgive me, I did not mean to say that, but these other animals for the sacrifice. So Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half you know, important detail. Then birds of prey came down to the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. In the ancient world, you need to know this. This is just how contracts and covenants were made. It's not made how we do it today. If you and I just want to go get a new cell phone from AT your Verizon, we sign a 12-page document. We all scroll to the very bottom. We didn't read any of those words that they are listening to us and tracking us at all moments. We do not care. I agree to the terms and conditions. Know where I am at at all times. My camera's off. Wink, wink, we know you're listening, Amazon. And that's how a contract's made in our day. In Abrams' day, little bit different. How you would make a contract that was serious is you would bring a bunch of animals, you would cut them in half, incredibly gruesome, I know, and you would separate them on each side and both parties would walk through the carcasses and they would get to the end and they would say, if I don't honor this contract, may I be like these animals you would fulfill some shit if that happened, right? you like, yes, I am paying back my car loan. Absolutely. It's like kind of like mafia status here, but with God, I know it's intense. And so in the ancient world, this is how you sign a contract between two parties so that everybody would agree and understand fully the terms that you're getting into. So uh, that happens. And then as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. No one's life first. And then the Lord said to him, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your father in peace and be buried as a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Lots going on there, we're not gonna get into all of that. Remember that the story of Genesis was not written during the story of Genesis. The story of Abraham is like a mythology for the people of God to later understand their own faith journey. That the people of God are probably in Babylon, in exile, they're writing these stories, and so what do they write? They write a story where even God said to Abraham, yeah, uh, I know I'm gonna bless you, but things are gonna get a little bit tougher first, which are the words that you wanna hear because you're in exile. So you want to hear, yep, it did get tougher, but then God even got them out of that so that when you do get out, you have a better story to share with people. I hope some of that makes sense. If it doesn't, I'm going to invite you to watch the rest of this Genesis series and catch up on everything that I just said there. You're welcome. All right. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces obviously. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, and the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Kadamites, Hittites, Pezites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gergesites, and Jebusites. All right, that was also a bad dad joke. Here we go. (laughs) Bigger fear is where what we need to have a bigger vision if we're gonna have a bigger view of God, which I think is an odd thing for a pastor to say on a Sunday morning, that when God speaks to Abram, he says, do not be afraid, Abram, fear not, which is the most common phrase found in the entire Bible, found over 300 plus times. What we've probably heard about a phrase like that is that when God says, do not be afraid or fear not, we've probably heard sermons of, you're not allowed to be afraid. If you are afraid, you are showing that you are not faithful to God. Those people never read a book. That is not what this is about. This is saying, do not be afraid because of course you're afraid. Because of course you fear. Why? Because you're a human being. So God is saying, you do have fear, you will be afraid at times, and as you risk, and as you live into your life, there'll be more things that you're scared of. Today, am I less scared or more scared because I have kids? I am terrified in different ways. There was a season in my life, I was terrified of a ball cross the street that my kids would go after it. Now I'm getting to a point where I have kids where not too many years from now, they're gonna be teenagers, and, the, and God will give me a new opportunity to be afraid. Because that's how it works. We're fearful all of the time. But God still comes in and then says this, but don't be afraid because I'm with you. Not that the fears aren't there, but just know that I understand your fears and I understand what you're afraid of. And don't we need to hear that, that God's gonna comfort us in our fears, that God is saying this to Abram and Sarai because he's saying, I know that you're afraid because you're still barren and that's why I wanna give you a bigger vision for your life, but I understand where you're at. Isn't that powerful that we know that? And I think that what we gain out of that is an opportunity to see the world in a little bit different way, that we get an opportunity not to live small, that we all have just one life. You will never get another life. There will never be another March 7th, 2021, that today I hope that you live and that you risk in a way that your faith takes you somewhere that you have things to be afraid of that you have bigger things to be afraid of. I know this is weird, but go with me. Remember when you were in college and the scariest thing that you had to do was like write a 15 page paper? And you're like, oh my gosh, I've been studying all week. And by studying, I mean I've been cleaning my room and playing Halo and hanging out with my friends and doing nothing for my paper. And then when the paper comes around, you type it up and you're like, man, there there was no bigger anxiety than that moment. And then as your life got bigger, as your life moved from that environment and as it expanded, you had different fears. You had jobs to worry about. You had implications about how you cared for other people. Maybe you got into relationships, and as your relationships grew, you had larger things to be afraid of. Or you had kids. You became managers of people. You created businesses. As your world expands, you'll be able to look back on your life, and you'll be able to see, yes, I had some fears back there, but you're right. I did not need to be afraid. I got through that. How do I know I got through that? Because I'm here today. And as I move through that, now I realize I have even bigger fears. There's some larger things that I have to be afraid of. And isn't that a beautiful thing for my life that I'm so living and thriving into the life that God's given me that I get to be fearful of that. That in a season of my life now, not only as a pastor, but as a business owner, as somebody who works for a corporation, what I realized is there was a season in my life that my employment only affected me. Now I know that my employment affects lots of other people. That's a gift in the world. My fears have only gotten bigger because I've risked, because I've taken chances. And your fears will increase as you fall in love, as you seek out curiosity in that relationship. If there's difficult things going on in this relationship, but you know that this is the person for you, you're gonna take new risks because you can continue to be right in those arguments or you can be of service. And maybe you'll learn that when you're of service in those arguments, that you're gonna experience some greater fears because you're gonna put yourself out there, you're gonna stop protecting yourself and acting small in that relationship. Same principle for a job, that you don't have to work at that job, you don't. You can leave today. And I will always want people to hear this in a year like 2021, if you are in a vocation where every week you are giving the best hours of your day to a job that you don't wanna be in, stop. There are other opportunities out there for you to go figure out something else. You don't wanna be 20 years down the road looking back in your life and say, why did I give up so much time and energy for just a couple dollars? That we live in this incredible world that if today you wanted to move to the south of France and start a farm, honestly, for like 1,500 bucks, you could be on a plane and rent a flat. I'm not saying it won't be without fear. Of course it will. That's the story. But it's your life. Go live it. Give everything that you have to it in a different way. And one of the ways that we overcome fear is we just name it. We name what those fears are. I'm scared. Here's my fears in my life. I'm scared that if I start a church like this, that all of the people who used to invite me to their churches to speak, and all of my dreams to be an author, and all of my dreams to be this kind of pastor are gonna be taken from me because they're gonna know that I'm inclusive, because they're gonna know that I love all people for who they really are, not wink, wink, come as you are, but really for who they are. That if I go take this risk, then all of the money that they're paying me is gonna be taken and I'm gonna to have to live scared. And guess what happened? I lived for a year and a half of starting New Abbey incredibly depressed because how I measured myself before was that thousands of people showed up into a room and they applauded at a great sermon. And now I had 12 people in a living room. It was a terrible moment of risk and fear where it exposed so much ego and insecurity within me. But now seven years later, I'm so grateful every day that I took that risk. And I have more things to fear now, great. Because what I learned is I can just name those things. And when I name those things, they don't have to have limiting voices in my head and they don't have to take power over me. It can be there. Of course, I got three kids. Every parent is terrified that something will happen to their kid. Great, I get to name it. I get to name that that's real. And I I get to trust in a different way but I don't have to be afraid of it even though I'm afraid of it. It's this, that's what faith is. We don't live in the certitude or the absoluteness of it, but we live in an opportunity to expand our visions and our narratives. That if we're gonna move from bigger fear, aim the fears that we have, then it will allow us to move into bigger needs. I think you're already picking up the pattern here about how we're gonna fill in these blanks. And the needs in the story is God says to Abraham, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield. Or the other word that's in the Hebrew there for shield is actually the word for sovereign or monarch. That in the ancient world and throughout lots of history, the monarch or the sovereign that you followed, these were the people that protected you. They gave you security in the world. And that many of us don't live in a world right now where we need a shield that we hold up because we're protecting ourselves from bullets or arrows or rocks that are being thrown at us, but we still desire a metaphorical shield. That some of us are just worn out, Let's name that today in the fears that we have. We're just tired. We're just exhausted. We're just exhausted from exerting ourselves so much, from putting so much out in the world. We're exhausted from trying to be somebody that we're not. We're exhausted for all kinds of reasons. And what we want more than anything is for that, is for God to be the sovereign, to be the shield that stands in front of us so that we can just sit and rest. And we can take a breather for a moment. And that as we live into our life, of course, there will be bigger needs. As I was saying before, I don't have less needs in my life today. I have more needs in my life because there's more people that I have responsibility and care for. And that's true of every human being. As we live and as we live well, then of course we invite other people into our lives, into the beautiful Venn diagram and mix that is our humanity. And as we do that sometimes, we feel like there's a lot of responsibility that's upon us. Maybe we feel worn out that we need a little bit more security, that we actually move through the illusion of our culture that I can just become more successful and more successful and more successful and eventually I'll get to a point where I can handle everything on my own. You won't. There's not a billionaire in the world who can handle everything on their own. That part of the journey of being a human being is no matter how many resources you have. In fact, we know this from studies, that people who often have more resources actually have more anxiety and more resources from them. We've got great evidence and research for that. That in societies where there's a greater discrepancy of wealth, that the people at the bottom and the top are both more scared. We don't wanna live that way. Instead, we wanna live into a world where we get to thrive as best as we can, that we get to recognize that our needs will grow as we live well into this life. But what if there's moments that we can live into a different posture where we trust? And I think trust is a word that I grew up with a life first when I was a little boy. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge God and God will make your paths straight. And that those were words that I would just say over and over again, but those words to me at one point in my life, they meant all certitude. I thought that God was magic. I thought that God was an equation. That if I did certain things, that God would take care of all of my needs. If I prayed long enough and did quiet time and went to church on Sunday morning and then Sunday night and then Wednesday night youth group and I did all this stuff, and especially if I didn't do these things over here, particularly like touch a boob or something like that when I was a teenager, then God would bless me. And I know I say it as a joke, but we all had these things that we made God some equation in a way where we said trust, but we really just thought, if I do this, then God will do that. And what if that's not how God works? What is just an invitation to live into a different way? I love that in Judaism, when you wear a yarmulke, the reason that you wear a yarmulke above your head is just a reminder that there's something above you. What a better posture to live into. That do your best, give everything that you got, work hard, thrive, live into that dream. Don't make your life small, don't play it safe because this is the only life that you get. But then at the end of the day, always be reminded that there's something bigger than you out there. And then maybe when you live into that dream and you thrive in that way, you'll have a moment just to take a breath and go, "Ah, it feels good that I don't have to hold everything. And when I trust, guess what? Bad things might happen. Bad things happen to good people. This isn't the answer to all suffering. Sometimes we think if I do good over here, then bad things will never happen to me. doesn't work that way either. Jesus says, the rain comes on the good and the evil and the sunshine comes on the good and the evil. That's just the way that things work on planet earth. But that shouldn't stop you from living your life. That shouldn't stop you from thriving. That shouldn't stop you from giving it all you got. And at the same time, that you can live into a posture of just trusting. Not with absoluteness, not with certitude, but for freedom. For freedom, that you don't have to hold it all together. As you move from bigger fears and as you have bigger needs, eventually you move to bigger rewards. That the verse says, Do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield and your very great reward. This is not a message now on name it and claim it, although I would very much like that. That would be way easier for our finances. Uh, Instead, this is a reality of a different posture and way of being in the world. That the reward that God's saying, this is the word for gift. This is not quid pro quo, that many of us believed that if I do these things, if I bless God in this way, then God will bless me. And we almost felt the pressure of it. I grew up in environments where it's like, you're not worshiping hard enough, Corey, you know, where you're like trying to like get yourself going for like the Chris Tomlin song, and you're like, yes, Lord yes, Lord, is is this what you want? And I'm not mocking it, but sometimes I felt that pressure. Some of it was beautifully genuine, by the way. Let me never take that away from myself. There were moments where I needed that. I still need that. There are moments in my life, I don't care how hoity-toity liberal elite, whatever books that I read, where you know what I need is just a good old Hillsong song and I need to walk down the street and just say, yes, Jesus, wash over me. I'm fine with that. I'm okay with that reconstruction in my life. We all need different, tools. Instead, this is a bigger story about how you perceive God, that God is a God who just gives gifts. God is not some weird parent who needs you to love God before God can love you, but we talk about God sometimes that way. That's weird parenting. There are parents out there, I may have grown up with a few, so so says my therapist, and tens of thousands of dollars, where I needed to prove my love to them before they would give their love to me. That's unhealthy. It's the parent who should be giving the love. In this story, it's the infinite one, the alpha and the omega, the God of the universe who has an endless capacity to give you the finite one, the fragile one, the broken one, the limited one, all of the love that you need. You don't need to be in some weird relationship with a God where you're like, you didn't say enough prayers today. That's weird. These people are going to hell. What? No, this is a God that when you take a million away from infinity, you still have infinity. That there are endless sunrises, that you have consciousness, that you have breath, that you have life, that there is beauty, that there is love, that there are babies crying right now, that there are people making love, that art is being made, that there's real pain being figured out, there's brokenness that is being transformed, that you have a God who is endlessly a part of those stories, infinitely offering God's self so that you can truly enjoy this gift of life this one life that you get. How beautiful that we have a God like that. That when I think about the word grace, which is an idea of gift, it is an unconditional love of God that meets you exactly where you're at. Grace is an unconditional love of God that meets you exactly where you're at. That doesn't mean that you should be somewhere else or that you can't do these things. God just meets you where you are in every single moment. That's the gift that God is giving you. That's the very great reward that you will always have because God is capable of doing that. That maybe when you start to experience a bigger view of God, you'll have a bigger vision for your life because you'll start to give yourself that grace. That the divine, the divine is not terrified that that just happened in your life right now. The divine is still there, has never left, and constantly offers more love, and more love, and more love, and more grace, and more grace, and more grace, and more more kindness, and you're still breathing, and you're still here, and you still have, I know it hurts so much, I know you don't think you're going to get through this, but you're here, and you've been here before, and other people have gotten through it, and there's so much beauty to your life ahead, and there's a story that you're going to tell, and this is the story of a God who keeps showing up in bigger ways, that we have bigger rewards in our life when we're willing to risk in different ways, that bigger fears and bigger needs to lead to bigger rewards because it changes our posture of who God is because now we can live generously. That we all are all the gods that we follow. And that if we believe that God is generous, we will live generously. Not a weird generosity where we gotta give something to get something but a free generosity that when we start to live generously with ourselves in that way, then we'll start to live generously with others that way because we know this is generously how God lives with all of us. And then this leads us to a bigger vision, that a bigger vision for our life is that moment where God takes Abram outside and says, I know that you're just, you're so focused right now on the problem that's in front of you, you don't have a kid, and God's not even just minimizing that. God is saying, I wanna give you even a bigger vision than that. Just look out at the stars, get out of that room, turn off the flashlight, go outside and see that the whole world is lit up for you right now. Everything the light touches is yours. I don't think that's from the Bible. And then even in the world that we live in, we have bigger expanding views of the universe. We have telescopes. We're like, oh my gosh, I got out of a room and I saw an entire world. And we're just like one planet in a solar system that's within a galaxy. And there's hundreds of billions of planets and stars within every galaxy. And there's hundreds of billions of galaxies. And should your mind be blown right now? Yes, it should that this is the expanding view of God that we're being invited into, that if we would just name some of our fears, that if we would trust that God's gonna provide for our needs, that if we would live generously in a different way, if we would accept these blessings and be blessings to other people, then somewhere in that story, we can see that God has a bigger vision for us, and that sometimes the vision that God has for our lives comes out of our barrenness, comes out of our lowest moments, comes out of our rock bottom, comes out of our moment of crucifixion, when even Jesus says, My God God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it's only through that that we have resurrection, my friends. Isn't that a powerful story? It's not what any of us want. No one ever asks for these things. No one ever wishes them upon someone else, but you know it was out of that that you got here and that you have something bigger and a bigger vision to offer the world. And that we all need to tell the bigger story of our lives in a more powerful way, that when we have a bigger vision, then eventually I think that we live just into a bigger God. And what I love about the story of Abram in Genesis 15, and the story of all of the carcasses that are laying on each side, and just how contracts were made in the ancient world, something powerful happened in Genesis 15 that was radically revolutionary for the ancient world. In this story, God and Abram do not walk through the middle of these carcasses, Only God does. It's God is the one, the infinite one who shows up and it's only God through the smoking pot and all the flames and all that stuff goes through the carcasses and God is saying, this isn't quid pro quo. This isn't some game. This isn't an equation. This isn't that version of faith. That's too small. That's too limiting. I know those people said those things about those people. Like women can't even be on stage over there. And if you have a different sexuality, no, we're not even talking about any of that. That is so uninteresting. Let's just stop telling that story. Instead, this is a story where God's the one who makes the contract and says, it's not always gonna work out on your end, but will always work out on mine. I got this. I know that you always won't. Why? Because you're a human being. Be free in that. Be okay. Be free in that. Talk about timing. (laughs) Not planned, but pretty good. Be free in that. Have a bigger story for yourself. Give yourself a break. Give yourself some grace. Give yourself some love. Give yourself some kindness. I got this. That was the radical shift of a bigger God that happens in Genesis 15 that hadn't happened in the world at that time. Everybody else's view of God in the ancient world and still up to this day is some small, minute, oppressive God that sounds more like a dictator or Santa Claus than the infinite giver of grace and love in the world. And this is a story that continues on into the story of Jesus where God is up and saying, I got this, I wanna show you a bigger way we got to learn to love me we got to learn to love yourself we you got to learn to love others we even got to learn to love your enemy and together we're going to do some healing work and guess what along that story there's going to be some jobs that you don't want some relationships that are going to not work out and some things that you never wish upon anybody else and, and even in those dark moments even in your barrenness even when you don't have everything figured out even in the middle of your lenten season i got this i will show up and when you can have a bigger view of me then I promise you're gonna to begin to have a bigger vision of the world. Know that when you open up those curtains and you get inside, I made all of this and it's for you. And so it's a question we get to ask ourselves, New Abby. Which story do we want? Keep doing the work of deconstruction. Keep asking the questions. Keep doubting. Keep figuring it out. But maybe this is a moment where you're gonna say, but I want a bigger God. Because I want a bigger God. I am what I serve. And I want a bigger God and I want to be in service to that thing in a different way because I want a bigger vision for my own life. Because I don't want just a bigger vision for my own life, but I want a bigger vision for the entire world. Now that sounds like a journey of faith that I'm interested in. We're gonna get back into your groups and we're gonna answer this question with one another. How can you take one step towards a bigger vision of your life? Enjoy.